Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 34, going live on Thursday, the 21st of February. Um, we've got uh, several guests with you with, with us here this week. Uh, first up is uh, Non-Eric from Berlin. How are you doing? I'm fine. Hello, everyone. Fresh from the launch of your new DMR um, recorder. How did that go? Oh, very, very well. I think uh, there's a couple of projects being started every day now on the website, and if you want to go and have a look, you can register for free, download for free, and have fun for free. And where can they go? That's, what's that, digitalmusicians.net? Yes. Ah, well, there we go. For those of you who perhaps didn't tune in last week, uh, Hans was um, launching a new uh, personal recorder sort of uh, feature to the site. So um, listen to last week and you'll get a full description of what it can do and uh, how fabulous it is. And also we've got Dave Spears. How are you, Dave? I'm good, thank you. And you? Uh, yes, I'm not bad, thanks. Um, I hear you're, you're, you're turning the corner from coming out of the universal binary woods. Uh, yeah, I'm going to speak very, very quietly because I don't want to tempt fate, but um, yes, I think we're there. Just uh, the website stuff to do, so that'll probably only be about six months. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well, congratulations. So, uh, and how about you, John? We didn't see you last week or speak, hear from you last week. Um, how have you been? I've, I'm okay. I'm struggling a bit with the uh, yearly cold, so... You only get um, one a year? Oh, well, maybe it's the second one in a year, actually. Ah, oh, gosh, well, thank goodness. Mm. Oh, you're lucky. Obviously, don't come into contact with too many children. <laughs> Haven't been recording St. Winifred's School Choir this winter, then? Not this year. I'm really busy at the moment. I've got a lot of remix work on. and um... Yeah, well, it's funny that time of year, isn't it? Because uh, what with all the awards and stuff that's going on, I mean, you kind of expect it to be kind of a really quiet time of year because that's why the awards are there to flog more product in a traditionally post-Christmas quiet bit but for us obviously it's hugely busy because of the shows we've just done obviously we've just done the Winter Nam show going to go up to Sands Expo next week um, which is in where, uh, Olympia on Thursday anyone going up to that? Mm. I'll be there John I think that's actually where I we am. first met wasn't it? Yes I'm going to be there I'm gonna, I'll be, be there on the first day I think on the Thursday Yeah I think we're going to go up on the Thursday so maybe we can all um Get together and have an anniversary pizza or something. Yeah. When I, we went to the UK to PR the, um, the Jew Musician Recorder, but we're now getting into, um, we're ready for a Frankfurt Messe. Um, what's the general thought about that? Because it's been sort of shrinking a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, they, they've made it look, they've bulked it out well to make it look like it's really, really packed, but the aisles have been getting wider and the space between the stands has been getting larger. I mean, is it going to be well attended, do you think? Well, I think uh, last year it was a bit slower. You, I have to agree, uh, slower than in previous years. Uh, but, you know, s things can change for non-obvious reasons because I have no idea why NAM was so packed this year. So you, you re really never know what's going to happen. One thing we do know that it's obviously uh, it's actually more expensive to go to Frankfurt than it is for us to, f to go to NAM, which I always find... <laughs> Mildly amusing. Shall we start with the gratuitous Apple rumour? It was on uh, the Future Music blog, which is um, not Future Music as in the publisher magazine Future Music. It's somebody else entirely. But uh, they just put, I think it was sort of like an artist representation of what a, what a sub notebook from Apple might look like. I don't know whether it's based on any fact, but it just got me thinking. I wouldn't mind something very small, considering at the moment my, my trusty or rather not very trusty MacBook Pro is just starting to kind of burst a little bit and not work properly because it's uh and it's Already? only a few months yeah i know it's really disappointing it's the battery for some reason won't power it even though it will charge it shows you know the lights go on and say yes i'm full of charge and the, the meter says i'm full of charge if you unplug it 
from the mains that just kind of goes boom, just dies, and there's I no. I could add a little bit of Apple uh, MacBook Pro bashing here because the one I'm, I'm I'm now sitting next to is actually the fourth model. The first one uh, wouldn't wake up from standby, so I had to return it same day to the store. The second one that I got from them wouldn't release my DVD that I put in, and I think it's still there somewhere at their repair <laughs> shop. And then I was getting so furious that I wanted my money back. I got my money back, went down downstairs to the Mac house. So I, they give me a MacBook Pro, and the same evening I was trying to rip a CD, and that wouldn't come out. So I take the thing back really furious, infurious, and they say, oh, no, uh, we have to send it back to the... Uh, to Apple, and I go, how, how long do I have to wait for it? Oh, th- three to four weeks, and I said, I just bought it yesterday, and I was screaming uh, the whole store down, and people were staring at me and going, and then they go, well, be quiet, okay, here's, like, we can't give you the money back, but uh, um, we'll give you, um, could get a new one, they would change it, but they didn't have a new one there, so it took a couple of days later, I had my fourth one now, but in the fourth one is giving away this really nasty noise when oh. it's not powered to the mains, going... Oh, dear. Is that the screen? No, it's supposed to be some sort of uh, um, converter, AD, AD or DDA uh. converter on the, bo- on the main board. And then what was the funniest thing is I went back to them and said, hey, I've got this disastrous noise here, and I read on various websites that it's a known issue and Apple will um, trade in the main board. And they said, yeah, yeah, it's okay, <laughs> but we don't, we don't have them in stock right now. Do uh, you want to leave your MacBook Pro here? I said, no, no, uh, I can't leave it here. I need it to work. And said, okay, we take it down. We order the main board from Apple, and then we exchange it within a couple of hours. That sounds more like it. After a couple of weeks, I called them up and said, "Hey, what happened to my main board? Oh, uh, they're back. They're back ordered. They, they haven't. We haven't got it yet. Uh, we'll give you a call after two months. I think two or three months later, I walk into the store and say, "Hey, what's up? Uh, I, I almost forgot about it. Uh, what happened to my main board?" And they, they go into the computer and say, "Oh, uh, Apple has cancelled." Uh, the back order. They cancel all back orders if they can't deliver within two months. And the dealer has to reorder the part. Oh, forget it. I mean, the hardware is useless on this one. Oh, dear. Did you, out of interest, did you take out their Apple Care plan? No. I wonder what, what the service would have been like if you had that. Because they meant, they're meant to come to your premises and change over your unit if it doesn't work and stuff, aren't they? Well, certainly, no. on a, certainly on a full-size one, though, on a desktop, they'll come and take it away and deliver it back fixed. And wow. I think that especially the, the laptops uh, have real reliability problems, generally. I mean, the last batch that was really, really good, do you remember the black G4s and G3s? Those were really great. But ever since, even my titanium, it was, oh, it's a nightmare. But I quite like the idea of this um, this kind of sub notebook. But it's just a figment of somebody's yeah, wild I imagination. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the other rumor was about a 15-inch MacBook rather than MacBook Pro, wasn't oh, it? Oh yeah, no. 15.4 MacBook. Uh, um, 
Yes, it was, which kind of, what's the point of that, exactly? I really like the MacBooks, I like the style of them and the keyboard and everything, I think they're really smooth machines. Aren't they a bit girly? <laughs> Not if you get the black one. We just got, took um, delivery of a Mac Pro for the office, because we were, you know, we really needed something to beef up our video processing. And uh, it really flies, we're running an XP, really does go, and we rented it from the local Apple Centre, and it was really kind of good value. Nick, uh, by the way, uh, I mean, the top 20 greatest sins show... I think it's so marvelous. It's oh, great. Thank you very much. And what I really like about it is the quality of the Flash movie is great. Did you well, do that? I did it on the new Mac Pro, actually. Oh. Yeah, okay. we just tweaked a few settings. I mean, it's quite high bandwidth, um, but we've got two versions. You know, we're, ju we're still experimenting with that. But yeah, the, the Flash rendering is, um, is, you know, you can get some really good stuff out of it. And I think it's also down to Simon, the guy who made it, it just made it look really good. Well, next one's coming up um, next week. Wednesday, in fact. Um, what's that going to be? The 28th of February. SonicState.com It's a bit of a light news week, I'll have to be honest, and uh, I've had trouble. My news desk editor has been calling me this week and sort of saying, I'm sorry, there's not much news today. <laughs> there just isn't that much around, is it? Do you think everybody's just kind of exhausted after the sort of NAM frenzy and they're sort of having a, taking a, a deep breath before Mesa? Yeah, I think so. Nam so, takes it out of you, and then every, everybody just tries to gear up for mess, don't they? Yeah, really? I mean, you're going to have, by the sounds of it, you're going to have quite a lot of announcements yourself at that, Dave, if, if this kind of, if the universal binary stuff keeps going according to plan, I mean, it's going to be good. A couple more, couple more test reports to come back from Apple. Oh, so really? Is that yeah. when you get a gold star or a Yes, yeah, or, or a detention? ticking off, yeah. Yeah, probably it's detention. No, but um, there's a couple of their testers there, Thomas Prine, who's been brilliant, actually. So is that all part of the service, or do you have to pay Apple to kind of test your stuff? No, they have a kind of third-party developer, you know, Q&A guy. Wow, he must be kind of busy. How many, you must, I mean, you must have to, sh how do you schedule his time? Do you have to kind of bribe him? <laughs> to make sure it fits with your schedule. <laughs> I think um, they've been so eagerly awaited by Apple for so long that I think now they're just kind of going, well, we've got the bulk of them out of the way. It's just these bloody GeForce guys now. Yeah, they're actually, they've just they've got nothing to do apart from wait for your uh, universal binaries. So that yeah, after, after yours have been certified, they're going to close the department and lay the guy off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, they've still got Spectrosonics. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, although, Which, that did, didn't that get announced yesterday yeah, or the yesterday. day before? Yeah. Yep. I, yep. I've been running that in beta for a while. It seems fine. I love it. I do love it. The, the Roland Frenzy. That was a great YouTube video, wasn't it? I kind mm. of, I quite enjoyed that. Basically, it's a, a chap from Japan um, called, uh, well, he's called Electro303. I mean, that's his handle on YouTube. I, I can't find anything else about him apart from he joined eight months ago. And he last logged in about three hours ago, and he's watched over 2,000 videos, and uh, he's 33, and he's from Japan. That's all oh. I know about him. But his videos, he's got three videos up there, and there's basically sort of analog fest jam, aren't they? There's, he's got a, a, the first one that I came across was the Roland um, TB jam, which has just got the 303, 808, 909, 727, I think, was it? 606, so 626, they're basically almost everything you could think of by Roland that is clockable together, all just kind of going for it in one big acid kind of fest. Yeah, it did take me back to the early 90s. Absolutely. Does any of you guys know a German uh, outfit called Hardfloor? No, they, they did a couple of, I think they did two or three CDs, basically only uh, TB303s and 909. Completely and really great monotonous techno, <laughs> really, 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 really great. 
hard floor. Well, I was hoping we'd have Mark with us this week because he was kind of Mr. 909-303 King and he did a lot of programming for his brother who was a Damsky. Uh, you know, and he was Mr. 909 and uh, did a lot of a lot of sessions, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to hoping to get a few sort of... Um, a few observations from him, but uh, he's he's not with us for some reason this week. I hope he's okay. I must admit, the 303 just sounded so kind of, you know, you just knew instantly what it was, and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of why it's so popular, really. Yeah, but I do, do, I do remember when it initially came out, being in a, um, in a music store here in Berlin, and looking at it and listening to it and going, really, at that time, you were really expecting it to mimic a bass. It was just, oh, God, no, this sounds Well, it was horrible. an auto, it was effectively, it was like an auto accompaniment, wasn't it? It was, that was the idea. Yeah. That and the, was it the 606 as well, the little drum machine, the yeah. drumatics? Do you know how most people really programmed these things? No, I don't know. But taking out the battery yeah. and disconnecting it really shortly and putting it back on, that would actually trigger random programming on the machine. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And then you get the wildest kind of sequences out of it. It's great. It's like sort of circuit bending process. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, did you did you find yourself uh, wondering why you'd got rid of any of that stuff that perhaps you didn't have anymore? Nine oh nine, definitely. Eight oh eight, definitely. Three oh three, I owned um, very briefly, and I did flog it at a car boot sale for some stupid oh, amount no. of money. Did I it have the little vinyl rubbish. case as well? Yeah, which is actually why I bought it, because I thought, oh, this is a cool thing to kind of carry around and, you know, pretend I'm a muso and stuff. But it was an abject failure for me. I mean, the other thing that he did have, which was quite interesting, you see the, the he had a, a similar kind of themed Korg uh, f- a movie, which was the uh, DDM-110, the DDM-220, the DDD-1, and uh, KPR-77, and the S3. Uh, and I actually used to... The DDM-110 was my first drum machine. I used to use it a lot for... Um, you know, all the all my demos and songs, you know, the the songs I used to write in my bedroom about girls not fancying me and that kind of stuff when when you when you're a teenager. And um so it was my first drum machine, but I just I must admit I can't I, I ne- the step thing just really passed me by. I couldn't really get into step programming. I used to use the two twenty uh as a drummer. I used to use the two twenty to give me a click from the sequences. And uh, I ended up with the timbali going clang, clang, clang for hours on end. Is that as your and, no, uh, as your ears just sort of degenerated and weren't able to discern anything else? Yeah, no, it was amazing. I mean, I had my ears tested a couple of years later, and that whole frequency was dipped. The whole timbali wow. frequency is gone yeah. just from <laughs> one side. <laughs> so I could go to Brazil now and not be immune to everything. Excellent. <laughs> you sleep like a baby during Turn carnival time. <laughs> But yes, the 220 and the 110. Yeah, they were rubbish, really, weren't they? Yes, they were. (laughs) John, you you do still quite a lot of studio sessions. Does anybody ever turn up with any of this stuff anymore? I still still come across the the TB303 and um, and 909s as well. Less and less, I think, because of the software, you don't really need them so much now. No, I suppose not. People are less inclined to, to buy them if they didn't have them. If they already owned them from the past, then fair enough. Sorry, the 909 was just really bizarre. I mean, because everybody was expecting a Lindrum from Roland, as it were, you know, expecting digital samples and all the rest of it. And I remember checking it out at Rose Morris in um, Shaftesbury Avenue and just being completely disappointed with it. And it seems that every instrument I'm completely disappointed with goes on to sort of define some genre <laughs> of music later on. 
Electro 303 on YouTube. If you do a search for that user or just go YouTube Electro 303, um, you'll find his, his uh, videos and, you know, some great nostalgia pieces there. The new Mose Synthesizer Range from Yamaha. The affordable, portable, lightweight Motive ES-based workstation with authentic sounds and drum kits, extensive onboard effects, phrase factory sequencing, USB and multi-zone MIDI, seamless integration with all DAW software, virtual synths and VST applications for a full spec. Check out www.yamahasynth.com. Total recall, total integration, total control. Mo Synthesizer Read Yamaha. Yamaha UK very kindly come aboard and uh, chipped in to support the show. Um, so feel free to click on any of the ads and uh, make everybody feel warm inside. Back before I, my, the arrival of my um, daughter, I had this kind of vision of disappearing off in a camper van with my laptop and a, and a, a small MIDI keyboard and just being able to kind of do session work and sonic work from from various beaches around Europe with some sort of satellite um, link-up. And this thing seems to be kind of closer to the truth. And if you go to their website, there's a there's a really good... Uh, it's got satphone.co.uk. Uh, it's Bjan, Bjan. Um, and it's it's uh, there's a great video. It's kind of like James Bond of him sort of sitting at a, uh, a, a market stall in Marrakesh, you know, with a big hooker pipe. <laughs> and just sort of flipping open his laptop case, putting this funny little box on the table and then just kind of connecting. And you, apparently you can get speeds up to 492 kbps. So it's, you know, it's it's actually quite quite respectable. I mean, not quite as good as your uh, 8 or 10 or 50 megabits that you get in uh, in Berlin, <laughs> Eric, but uh, imagine being able to do I mean, this this and this works basically anywhere below a certain longitude. Um, so, you know, as long as you're not in the actually at the North Pole, you're probably going to get it to work. There's actually a funny story regarding Berlin. I uh, heard in the uh, radio today that there was a public outcry in uh, because a uh, section of Berlin, I think it was Pankow, because in, in the post-East um, German um, period, beginning of the 90s, they did this really high-tech fiber optic connections there. But um, apparently they're not usable without, uh, with DSL lines. People were moving out of out of that section of Berlin because they couldn't work there. You know, they couldn't have an office there or anything. So now there's been a public outcry, and it's going to it's going to be done now. It's amazing if you lose your network for any period of time. You know, particularly for people like us who are kind of basically tied to a network for 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 our whole work and communications. You start getting withdrawal. I mean, you, I mean, the only thing you really can do is go and kind of dig the garden or something do something that's totally unrelated but i mean yeah. with this thing it's it's a really it's kind of real super spy stuff it's just mm. it's quite expensive it um, is expensive that's the thing i've noticed about it but it's satellite based so it's it's what yeah. is this eight uh, it's four quid a megabyte <laughs> i was thinking you know we could get one for some of the when we do some of these shows because one of the problems that we have is our upload speed you know if we've got a rubbish upload speed we can't get the data back to, to base fast enough but i was just thinking you know we probably do close to a terabyte a show so that would be quite <laughs> quite a pricey little investment there but um, and it's literally you don't yeah. need a dish or anything it's like a, it's about the size of a what it looks like is a kind of a couple of dvd cases and you just stand it up yeah. on the table and it's just it's a brilliant little gizmo and it, the, the way that they demonstrate it is very james bond and uh, i kind of i just i'd like one even though i know it's too expensive i mean presumably this sort of stuff is going to filter down but i mean there must be a finite bandwidth on satellite, so I mean, it, it's not going to be for everybody because there's the the bandwidth is going to be much less than than on um, you know fiber optics and, and and actual cabled networks. I'd have thought. I love the idea of this. I really do. Yeah, where would you go then? Where where would be the place that you would go and work if you you know 
assuming that you could get network because you had one of these, where would it be? Actually, the really bizarre thing is, um, half the time I kind of buy laptops thinking, oh, great, you know, I've got this new super-fast laptop. I can work from anywhere. It's all going to be great. And I always end up sat at my bloody desk with the main computer most of the time anyway. But here in Germany, we've got lots of UMTS now. So I've got this UMTS modem, and I can have pretty good line practically everywhere in Germany now, at least for a little bit of surfing and emailing. What's UMTS? UMTS is uh, it's a um, new standard uh, for mobile phones, and it's got pretty high rates, and, and uh, at CBIT they will roll out a next generation of this, and it's going to be basically as fast as uh, the, the good old first-generation DSL lines and mobile. It works really well. So that's on your mobile phone, yeah? So you yeah. just use it as a modem, sort of Bluetooth modem yeah. in it. Well, Absolutely. I mean, we've got the promise of that here, but they're still fleecing us for data rates. I mean, it's just incredibly expensive to, to download, you know, to, to move any data around. The only reason we're paying for it that is because they can get away with it, because at the moment they've been selling it to big biz- businesses uh, who use, you know, those Vodafone cards. And Yeah, I got totally stung by that on 3G because I, someone I was on holiday and someone wanted me to hear a couple of tracks and I just said, oh, just email them to me, I'll get them on my phone. Yeah. Downloaded them to my phone, played them, and when I got, <laughs> got my bill, it was like <laughs> £3.50 for each track. <laughs> the sad truth is that um, connectivity-wise, we're going to end up being in a third-world country if it goes on like this because I think our governments are making a big, big mistake like funding. In Germany, we're funding a coal mining with enormous amount of money every year. And that money spent in, 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 uh, in DSL infrastructure would be so much more worthwhile. We've got quite a lot of cable where we are, so there's, you know, the, the mm. speed is quite good. The, the fact that it isn't a high kind of priority for a lot of European gov- governments just does seem very crazy. I mean, it always seems such a great idea, you know, being, being in a park or being on holidays and being able to work and do music. But really, what you really want when you're on a holiday is not you to don't want to be connected. <laughs> yeah. well, that, you don't want to be bothered with it. And when I make music, I want to be in my, in, in my studio and I want to, I, I, I get so much, what's the point of sitting in a park? I did that occasionally. But then I was sitting in the park being all drawn into the screen and working there i didn't really take any notice of the nice surroundings anyway so i think work is work and fun is fun and music is music very nice if you can afford it but i suspect that um, one might need quite a hefty budget to set up a mobile office with with this sony oxford to audio units that's quite yeah. a big deal isn't it hooray they're, they're available on PowerCore, and they were are they tdm as well at the moment they started out as tdm didn't they yeah yeah, yeah. And is it? Am I right in thinking these plugins are actually modelled on the Sony Oxford Desk that was kind of this sort of super big um, production console that had kind of big touchscreens and what have you? Is that the? Is that what it's modelled on? I think so. I think. Yeah, I used to use them on when I was still uh, owning a power core, but I gave up on the power core because I had all these continuous driver issues. And I thought these Sony plugins were great. I've used one of those Sony desks. They've got, well, they used to have one up in the, the top production room in uh, Real World Studios, which is not far from, from Bath. I remember the EQ being really, really nice. I've not used these, but I'm really, lo- I'm really looking forward to getting hold of them. I think I'm going to get them through pretty soon, so um, I'll, I'll let you know when I've tried them out whether or not they're up to the same So are you going to be reviewing standards. those, John? Or? Hopefully, hopefully. Who, who will that yeah. be for, do you think? That will be for future music. Uh-huh. 
Well, I did, I did check out on the website. What's interesting, one interesting thing about this is that if you're a TDM user, you get the AU versions uh, gratis, which is pretty good news. I mean, wow. certain other manufacturers will charge you separate money for TDM and, and nice. AU. Oh, they have demos on it on their website, so you can download a demo and check it out. But you uh, need to have an iLock. Yeah. Oh, really? So you will, yeah. Thanks to Dave and Chris, I've got an iLock. So I can try them out. <laughs> Thanks again, Dave. How come you got an iLock? What did you get that for? That was for? a present. A oh. present from Chris. Copy protection for the one you love. <laughs> <laughs> Gift that keeps on giving. But uh, that's quite big news, really. They've been fairly exclusive, the Sony Oxford stuff, uh, up until now. And so they're going to be putting... It's... Well, they're doing the whole range, right? They're starting with three, aren't they? And then they're going to do all of them eventually. Yeah, the reverb and the inflator. I used to use the inflator quite a lot. I'd just like, I'd just like to say I hope other other manufacturers who make TDM-only plugins follow suit as well. If you're running a Mac Pro, I mean, like you say, you, you know, they're really swift machines. There's no excuse really now. The thing with the TDM systems really is that I think we'll need to see a, a, a new generation of the um, TDM system coming up uh, pretty soon because the, the DSP's uh, family they're using is sort of pretty outdated by now. And when you compare the processing you get out of, because there are some plugins that are available both as TDM and native. Mm. So you can get a lot, of more, a lot of more horsepower out of a native system right now with a Mac Pro than uh, even the uh, most expensive TDM system. And I think mm. that's not going to be uh, able for DigiDesign to, uh, to sell for, for much, much longer. So mm. I mean, I suppose the thing is, is, I mean, obviously, if you're coding for um, DSP acceleration, such as, you know, uh, that I think, is it Motorola chips or whatever it is they use on HD TDMs, um, to actually code for AU or any other format is basically a complete rewrite, is it not? Yeah. Yes, it's correct, yes. So I wonder if there's going to be issues where the sound is ever so slightly different because the maths is, is done in a sort of ever so slightly different way. I mean, not not with necessarily with Sony stuff, but with anything that's available on multiple mm. platforms. I mean, do you think there'll be a kind of, it's like, you know, the, uh, the the sort of classic, oh, yeah, you've got to get the blue face. You know what I mean? Are there going to be kind of qualitative differences? you think they're going to be? Well, I was told from the guys from Matic Halo, uh, that actually there is a difference between their different formats, uh, plug channel strip. It's a different, slightly different between the TDM version, the native version, and the one, the version they're using uh, on their own DSP. What, so in, ter in terms of what's qualitative difference, sound, sound yeah, quality difference? Yes, yes. And I guess, I suppose it probably uh, is the same because when you're on a native system, you have a 32-bit floating point. Mm. Maths on the t on the on the DSP you have 24 or 48 bit mm. uh, integer maths and on uh, the DSP from Matrix Halo they have a 64 bit floating point maths mm. and that's obviously going to affect the sound. Have well, to. What does that do? It's kind of rounding of rounding of. Yeah, the rounding is completely different. It's different. So rounding would be, you know, if it's naught point naught point one point, you know, it's the number yeah, of decimal yeah. places that you're that you have to correct. Yeah. yeah. So just by by the different mass, there has to be a slight difference, because you can tell by by the the overloading. For example, if you have a the, the Sony Oxford EQ, and when you compare it to the Cambridge EQ on the UAD one, you can actually quite easily uh, see the difference uh, in terms of how they react uh, with uh, levels. 
because uh, it's a power core. A Sony EQ runs on the uh, 2448-bit Motorola, yeah. and it's much more sensitive to overload than the yeah, UAD. Because it's fixed, isn't it? It's fixed point, yeah. and, and the, uh, uh, the UAD runs on a floating point unit. Yeah. That makes it quite wow. different. Well, everybody got that, so that makes it very clear that maths does have a great bearing on the sound. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> SonicState.com Well, I've been talking of maths and qualitative difference. Did anyone see the Lavery Engineering? Uh, I've been reading a lot of stuff about them. Um, they seem to be the, the A to D and D to A of choice at the moment, kind of really sort of top end. I mean, you know, up until now, people have been talking about prism sound as, as really the, the kind of... <laughs> the the only kind of way to travel if you're going to go in and out analogly and now um lavery engineering seem to be getting that kind of moniker i mean has uh has anybody actually ever used anything by lavery nope is no. it just too expensive do you know how much they are yes i've got a price <laughs> list in front of me uh, they're very expensive you get an eight channel one then you're talking eight grand that's pretty similar to that very expensive prism. Lots of people are talking about them in kind of very glowing terms. I went over to gearsluts.com uh, and was just happened to be looking, because we've just finished a, a, a sort of not very scientific kind of roundup of uh, three uh, analog to digital and D2A converters. We did the uh, Personas Digimax FS, the Apogee Rosetta 800, and the uh, Lynx Aurora 16. And um, I just happened to be looking for, you know, people talking about Aurora 16, and then people were saying, well, yes, but if you like that, you should check out the Lavery, because, I, I mean, it's a totally different price point, but you can completely hear the difference. I asked our um, imposter coder, John, who's, who is the genius number cruncher in this organisation, and he's normally on that ProSound web. You can find him on there in the, in the Dan Lavery forum, and uh, I was asking him his opinion, and he said that what he likes about Dan is that he has an approach whereby he makes the best converter he possibly can at a given price and just doesn't do things which he thinks compromises the engineering because they they might sell better. And he was saying, for example, you know, he could use a... He could make a 192 converter very easily and it might bring in more sales, but all his engineering knowledge and personal tests tell him that it would, it would be detrimental to the quality, so he doesn't do it. And uh, I think that... Gains him a lot of respect, you know, amongst the uh, intelligentsia. As it well, was. he's quite revolutionary in that sense. He just said, "Well, one nine two k. I don't just don't see the point." You know, my mm. thoughts on this is it's mm. totally unnecessary. Ninety six is fine. Yeah, is and, and that's quite a, you know a refreshing and sort of realistic perhaps uh, outlook. I mean, they do a thing called a Lavery Black, which is a, they do a, a DA ten and an AD ten, which are stereo converters. It seems a lot of people are using those to mix out of, so coming out of Pro Tools digitally or whatever and just monitoring through those into their into their analog systems. And people are sort of saying that just the depth and the width and the quality is is beautiful. I mean, John, do, do you kind of work in the world of A to D and D to A much, or are you... Are you Not kind anymore. Of, no? No, I tend to work in computer now, so... What do you use to convert into things that, you know, move your ears i use whatever whatever is available so right. if it's you know i've not got a, a sort of preferred converter although i have used um the prism stereo ones a few times and pretty like you know like those quite a bit so and yeah, what i think it's very difficult to have to sort of get a sense of reference between these things as well yeah because the, the difference between a, an okay converter and a really expensive converter is obvious when you ab them 
Um, but if you, you know, try to find somewhere, someone who actually has a studio full of seriously expensive converters is impossible. Yes, mm. well, I it would agree. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> now, deciding at what stage, you, you know, I mean, to me, to my ears, you know, if, you, if you're using a really good converter at the recording stage, that's fine if you're just recording one vocal, but if you're doing a band setup, you're not going to have 16, unless you're very lucky, 16 channels of expensive converters. But at the same time, you should have something pretty decent on your monitoring output. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, we we tried so we tried the Apogees and the Lynx, and the Lynx were pretty good. I have to say, they we did a comparison. We had a Krell um, 300 CD, which is like a four grand CD player. Um, and we play the digital output of that into a monitoring system, and then we a bit, and then we took an analog out of that and into our into the record inputs of of Aurora, and then listened to the digital output of the A to D, and we couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> Whereas all the other ones that we tested, we could, and that seemed mm-hmm. to be kind of a good, you know, because I mean, you can make things sound more impressive and sort of different and sort of bigger, but it's not necessarily a good thing because if you kind of apply that logic to 64 channels of whatever it is you've recorded then you're going to end up with this awful sort of huge lumps of equalization that you're going to have to deal with presumably Dave did you get the metric halo by the way because I swear uh, you're going to be impressed because <laughs> I did uh, as I said uh, before when I was using the RME I wasn't even I, w- I wouldn't really hear a difference between um, playing back an audio file from the finder of the Mac or from iTunes and suddenly I would hear all these differences in, in, in quality, you know, the difference in playback from the Finder, from iTunes, from WAV files versus MP3s. It was amazing. I mean, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I understand it, there are only a certain number of component manufacturers that actually make analog digital, digital analog converter chips. Absolutely, that's right, yes. So that, that, is, that fundamental sort of component choice is, is, the, is the starting point for anyone building it. The other, the other thing I'd say is that I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether this is just gut feeling or what, but I suspect that clocking is one big issue which is very, uh, has a great effect on how, how oh, absolutely sound. Mm. Oh, yeah, you can hear a difference, actually, yes. And then it's all going to be heard on a phone. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's, that's a sobering thought. I was just kind of looking around. I happened to come across a load of Shakespeare's sister stuff, and I sort of forgotten quite how good it was because I remember they were "Stay" was just such an enormously massive song for them, wasn't it? I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know where it went. Number one was it sort of everywhere in the world, pretty much. Yeah, all Europe. I did that tour. Yeah, I must have been incredibly I, um... exciting. I mean, I've never been around when things go that massive so quickly. I mean, it's kind of quite scary. It's so fast. It was a very, 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 very strange situation. I mean, it was a fantastic band. Uh, I'd worked with the keyboard player on the Debbie Harry tour. And then when we finished that, I went off and did a couple of other things. And then I got the call from tour manager to go and see them for this tour. And I'd, they were offered, it was, it was right, it was probably about late 91 or something like that. So it was right at the, at the start of the recession. And of course, like tech's wages would just, uh, just kind of hit the floor. You know, we were used to good money with sort of yes lot and all the rest of it. And uh, I turned this down, and then I got a call, which was highly entertaining, that they played Bristol the night before, and Stay had just got to number one, so they shifted it to the encore, and they uh, go to launch into the chords, and nothing worked. Oh dear, how embarrassing. So I got this panic phone call saying, uh, we're, actually, we're in Reading tomorrow, can you fix it? So I went down and uh, managed to sort it out, and in fact it was brilliant, because... 
I, I kind of helped set up the system originally, and we used a load of data disks. You remember the Elysis data disks? Oh, yeah. And uh, transferred the stuff from the Atari to the data disks, and somehow um, stuff had got corrupted. And, Ooh. Uh, and I ended up kind of babysitting them for a while at exactly the moment where stages went ballistic. Shakespeare system were booked in to do, I think it was one night at the town and country, and then literally overnight, that was like four nights, and Radio 1 broadcasting live from there. I mean, it was just chaos. So they were good live. I mean, I got the impression that they could, because Marcella Detroit, she used to play guitar as well. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, she's worked with Clapton and all sorts of people in her time. Um, there was Chuck, the drummer. He was monstrous. I'm trying to think the last... I think I saw him last with Nelly Furtado. Um, and uh, Claire Kenny, she was bass player with... Um, did an Aztec camera tour with her years before. And then Carrie, the keyboard player. So they were a really excellent band. And uh, Marcella was brilliant. And Siobhan was great. I mean, I thought... They just had a really special vibe about them as a band, I thought. Yeah. And it, and it was a real shame that it went the way it did. She, she struck me as being kind of sort of brilliant, um, but perhaps a little bit hard to work with at some points, because she sort of seemed to... You know, she sort of exudes this kind of real nervous energy, and like, uh, I mean, because the clips, some of the clips I've seen, also uh, there's a uh, her website then where there's videos of her performing kind of more recent material, and she's like a kind of real sort of live wire, just kind of fills all the available space. You know, so it's funny because I don't think they never anticipated that kind of success, as it was certainly not as quickly as it was. And I mean, really, it was it was Siobhan's band, and then when it all kind of went completely nuts, you know. You start to lose control, and was, da- was Dave Stewart um, involved in that? Wasn't weren't they kind of? Um... Well, Dave was Dave and Siobhan were an item. I, yeah, I probably probably still are. I haven't seen either of them for years. In fact, it's a shame Mark's not here because he knows Dave. I think. Right. Okay. And th- th- did they actually wonder whether or not he was involved in the co-writing or the production of the original songs or whatever? I'm pretty sure he was involved in the production. Like I say, you know, I'd kind of dismissed it in the early stages and just kind of went off. And I, th- I think it was quite hard you know, to kind of keep control and basically to stop working. You know, there comes a point where you just got to, you have to turn around to the record companies and the promoters and the managers and everybody right. and go, we're, we're enough is enough. Yeah. yeah. Don't become too successful. Yeah, too fast. Be happy being in, you know, re, um, out of, not in the sunlight of success. For too yeah. long. Don't get Enjoy burned. the shade. Yeah, that's very <laughs> Something, fortunately, I've learned to live with. Thanks, everybody. That's uh, so it's been a sort of low-key one because uh, a slow news week. But maybe next week we'll have a little bit more, uh, a bit more to go on. Um, but thank you very much for your time, everybody. Thank you very much, uh, Non Eric in Berlin. Yes, and here's the plug. Yeah, go to www.musotalk.de if you're German and you like some German music and sound production podcasts. And uh, jo- John Musgrave, thank you for joining us as well. Cheers, everyone. See you next week. And Dave Spears, thanks for your time too. Thank you. Okay, maybe we'll see a couple of you in uh, Music Live next week. John, I hope to see you. I'll and, be down there, yeah. Okay, well, oh, yeah. I'll be in touch, and um, thanks again. Hey, guys, how's it going? This is Kevin Reeves of uh, kevinreeves.net, and I uh, love your show. I just discovered it, and I'm catching up on old episodes. I'm trying to get all through all 40-odd episodes that are there. But you were talking about uh, Pong on the MPC. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's also Pong on the Kurzweil K-series instruments, like starting from the K-2000 and up. 
and uh, there you can um, turn the machine on, and I think you have to hit the left and right arrow keys together. I don't remember the key command, but it's in the manual. And somebody actually uh, created a sound pack for it where you could load the sounds in and then dump into this Pong game. Uh, if you can do Pong on an MPC, you can do Pong on a Kurzweil, and I'm sure that you can play uh, uh, Solitaire on your uh, Korg Oasis. Um, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe you'll be able to play uh, Tetris on your Motif ESX when it comes out because it's going to have that full-color display. Anyway, you can check me out at KevinReeves.net. And uh, thanks so much for a great podcast, guys. So, Kevin, thanks very much for that comment. Also, if you are interested in playing uh, kind of uh, ancient 80s video games on the, on your hardware the, or, or software, um, the GeForce string virtual string machine also has breakout as a little easter egg there so you can play breakout if you're getting a bit bored um but thanks very much kevin for that comment um if you want to see kevin's website that's kevinreeves.net that's kevin r-e-e-v-e-s.net and again if anyone's got any other queries or want to just leave us a message uh, please contact us on the skype handle sonic talk or you can give us a ring. Our number in the U.S. is 312-376-8089. If you're outside the U.S., uh, dial plus one, uh, 312-376-8089. Uh, we've also got a U.K. phone number um, where you can leave a message, which is 0207-870-8616. That's if you're in the U.K. If you're outside the U.K., dial plus four four two zero seven eight seven zero eight six one six. And there's also good old email. You can email MP3 comments or um, plain old written stuff to sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Thanks for listening. Sonic. State. Not home.